Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Good morning. Lovely to see you all. So good to just do ministry again, isn't it? Just to hear God speaking through his people to his people. So thank you everyone who shared words. I know it takes a little bravery to do that, especially after so long. So just stunning to hear the Lord speaking to us again. Um, If you have a Bible, would you please grab it? Um, turn with me to Romans 5. We'll be going there in just a minute. And uh, as we do that on the screen, you will see the diamond uh, just after this. So as we approach this new year, January, the time of resolutions, the time where we look at our lives, we set new things in place. You know, what do we want to grow in this year? We wanted to look at the theme of discipleship. And so we've stolen this diamond from uh, Bridgetown, John Mark Comer. I know a lot of you have been following their teaching and reading his books. And they're just doing a a stellar job at pressing into discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus, not just on Sundays, but all through the week. And so uh, they use this as a really helpful framework in terms of discipleship. And it's the kind of diamond of Christ-likeness, these four pillars that help us to become more like Jesus in our discipleship. And that is... Uh, The Holy Spirit, that's God's effort. There's uh, the spiritual disciplines, self-effort. There is community. Jill spoke spoke on that last week. Others' effort. And then we come and we move around to this week, which is uh, what he calls the hard knocks of life, or in other more biblical terms, suffering or trials. And we've circled around this topic a few times for obvious reasons over the last few years. But on face value, it looks like maybe the odd one on the list, right? But the Bible is very clear that suffering holds a unique place in shaping our lives to be more like Christ. And we've sung about it today, like Jesus in the pressing make new wine out of me. And so this morning, quickly, I just want to put a bit of a theological framework around that song, what we've been singing. How does the pressing create new wine in our lives? Because the truth is, the Bible seems to teach that suffering is almost like a pressure cooker. Like it's like a microwave in accelerating Christ-likeness in our lives. It seems to accelerate us in the process. And so that's why it's an essential part of this diamond and why we're going to look at it today. But the first thing I want to say is that um, in many ways, we suffer less than any time in history, right? Um, you know, kind of objectively, healthcare provision here, we suffer less than in other times. But research would suggest that although we suffer objectively less, we actually struggle in our suffering more than any time in history, And why is that disconnect? Well, Tim Keller, in his brilliant book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, suggests this, that in previous generations, suffering has played a part in the sort of combined thought of whatever your purpose of life might be. So whether or not you exist and your ultimate purpose is to serve your family or your community, or if your purpose is to play some part in the cosmic battle between good and evil, your suffering plays a part in that purpose. 
But as we've moved into secular postmodernism, and this is important because Jesus says that we need to discern the times in which we live. And so we live in this time of secular postmodernism in which really individualism and happiness has become the ultimate purpose of life. It's really the idol of our day is that we exist to be happy. Now the problem with that is that if your purpose for life is to be happy, suffering plays no part. In fact, it fundamentally opposes the very reason for why you're alive. And so in our suffering, we suffer badly. Uh, Adele recently, after 10 years, released her brand new album, 30. Don't know if you remember, and her song, you know, broke all the charts, Easy On Me. And I was reading an interview she did with Vogue about that uh, that single, and she said this. I wrote this single because I wanted to explain to my eight-year-old son through this record when he's in his 20s or 30s, who I am and why I voluntarily chose to dismantle his entire life in the pursuit of my own happiness. It's powerful. And the thing is, I actually kind of commend her bravery because she is just articulating what many people think is that personal happiness is the altar on which anything can be sacrificed. But it means that in our suffering, we suffer badly. But the good news for us as Christians is that we approach suffering differently. Fundamentally different in two ways. Number one, we don't suffer alone. Christ suffered for us and Christ suffers with us. But number two, as we've said The Bible teaches that suffering actually has a fundamental place in our purpose of life to become more like Jesus and live in the freedom that he has promised to us. And so let's go to Romans 5 verse 4 and it's going to come up on the screen. Not only that. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's a stunning verse. Now, I think there's two potential abuses of this verse, and the language here is very important, because this verse is neither stoicism nor masochism, right? The language is not stoicism. It doesn't say, we rejoice despite our suffering. The Bible doesn't teach that actually to become a Christian means you sort of float above the ground unaffected by the world, saying, oh, don't worry about it that's not going to get me down. That's not going to bother me. You take this very stoic approach because the problem with that approach is that ultimately to say that it doesn't bother you is to have to kill whatever it is in your life that you care about. But you push it down. You just say, actually, no, I know that I've lost that. I know I didn't get it, but it didn't really matter to me anyway. But actually the Bible, I'd say, teaches the opposite. In many ways, the Bible teaches us to love more deeply more purely, to be more vulnerable to suffer when we lose things. Jesus, despite being whole and perfect, was a man of sorrows. 
He wept, he cried, he mourned. There is something about perfection that means we are affected by the pain of the world and what we walk through. We aren't just stoic. And on the other side, it definitely is not masochism either. We don't rejoice because we are suffering. We don't seek it out. We don't always look to become martyrs. We don't seek out suffering. So if it's neither of those two things, then what is Paul teaching us? Well, I think what he's teaching us is that we rejoice in our suffering because our suffering leads us into wholeness. Let's just pick apart some of the words in here a little bit. So the word endurance is a simple one. It basically means kind of patience, steadfastness. So what Paul is saying is the first thing, when you encounter suffering, just stay put. Don't run away. Don't give up. Endure. Stay put. Because he says that will produce character. Now the language here in the Greek around character basically means tested and purified. And it's very similar to a verse that Peter uses, which we're going to bring up on the screen. So Peter says this around suffering. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined, refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So what Peter's doing here is he's using a blacksmith metaphor. He's talking about the process of purification by fire, in which more raw minerals were brought together and put into a furnace. Now, you probably don't know this about me, but I actually have a degree in chemistry. So my undergraduate degree is in. And you would be surprised, I'll tell you, by how little that serves me in my teaching and theological endeavours. Almost never, surprisingly enough, does that come up. And so let me savour this for a little minute, okay? This is where Peter and me, you know, we're just, we're flowing together, okay? So what they would do is they would bring all this ore, which you, you bring it out of the earth, and there's gold, but there's all sorts of impurities, and they're all clumped together, And the way that you would get the gold out is that you would just expose it to intense heat, fire, in the furnace. And so what Peter's saying is that this is what happens when you encounter suffering. Because what the pressure does and what the heat does is it forces separation. So when there's all sorts of things all clumped together, the heat forces it to separate And what happens is the gold being heavier drops to the bottom and all the impurities just go to the top. And then you you siphon off the impurities and you do it again and again and again until ultimately all the impurities are gone. And so what does that mean for us, for our character when we approach suffering? Well, the word faith here can be misleading. In Greek, the word pistos, faith, There's only one word for faith and faithfulness. So in many ways what Peter is saying here is it's the testing of your faithfulness. It's the testing of your commitment to Jesus. 
It's the same word as maybe we would use allegiances. It's your hopes and your dreams. It's the places that you look to for security and significance. What happens is that suffering throws all of them into the furnace and says, what bubbles to the top? When you encounter trials, when you encounter pain, doesn't matter what it is. Pain is what kind of comes on us. Suffering is what it does inside of us. It can be big or small. What bubbles to the top when you're walking in the furnace? I remember for us, a lot of you uh, in the family would have journeyed with us last year when suddenly Hannah and our three-year-old got really sick. Uh, just before COVID, actually, they both developed a cough. Ended up being Hannah ended up being hospitalised for six days. Just we came out of that. Thea recovered. Hannah wasn't recovering very well. But in that process of not recovering very well, COVID happened. All the hospitals shut down. Really hard to see anyone. Hannah was just getting worse and worse. And eventually, we saw a doctor, and they said that there's potentially some ongoing condition. And they wanted to test for cystic fibrosis. And I remember at the time, it's just taking ages to see anyone. Remember, they phoned us and they said, ideally, this was in March, they said, ideally, we would see you tomorrow. The first appointment we can give you is in October. And we were just trying to process how we recover as a family. And I remember thinking, what, what comes, what's bubbling up inside of me as I walk through my wife being incredibly unwell? But there was this turning point I remember for her. And, you know, amazing. She's actually recovered amazingly well. And, you know, obviously the test for cystic fibrosis came back negative And we're doing good. Praise God for that. But I remember she was having a Zoom with someone, an older person, who has just invested heavily in her life over the years. And I remember it was a turning point in our journey because this person, after hearing all about it, just simply said, so Hannah, what do you think that God is doing in you through all of this? That's such a good question. And you just begin to realize, like, actually, there's so much potential to become more like Jesus as you walk through the furnace. Because there is only one source of security. There's one hope that can withstand the furnace. And it's the promise that you are created and loved by Jesus and that one day he is going to put everything right. This isn't stoicism. It's not about not caring. It's not about me getting to a point where I'm like, I don't mind what happens to Hannah. Don't care. I care deeply what happens to my wife. But even if the very worst comes to pass and all I'm left with is Jesus, that would be enough. And on that, you can build your life. And all of this could sound a little bit clinical, a little bit pragmatic. But the truth is that Jesus reaches into our suffering and he stands with us. It's the very end of that verse that we read in Romans. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I just want to share a story. Last two weeks ago, I was hosting and the person of which this story relates, has given me permission to share it. But I was, um, I was hosting, and we were in worship just like today, and I felt like the Lord gave me a word, very simple word, um, from a song that I'd been listening to, which is, He who knows you best loves you most. 
The one who knows you best loves you most. And I said, I don't know. I feel like for someone here, God is wanting to remind them that. Later on in that week, I got a text message which said someone who's been walking through an incredibly painful pastoral situation, not of their own doing, had um, just, in their words, hit rock bottom. They felt unloved and unlovable. But they had come across those exact words somewhere. Couldn't remember where. Could have been a song, could have been a book. But in that place of feeling rock bottom, they had prayed, God, if that is true, confirm it to me. And they said that, Adam, when you stood up and shared that word, it was like Jesus looked me in the face and he said, I love you. This is the power. Even in our darkest places, Jesus reaches in and says, I love you, I'm with you, and I'm going to make it all all right. And so, this process of walking through the furnace, this process of coming up against suffering, as it exposes our attachments, as it exposes those things that can be important, it actually sets us free from them to live in the freedom that Jesus has promised to us. It's not the freedom of not caring, but it's the freedom of not depending. It's not being enslaved to vulnerable things, for our significance and our security, whether that's looks or money, popularity, career, fame, relationship, whatever it is, whatever that thing is, that walking through the furnace gives us a chance for those things to be exposed. And it dethrones idols and allows us to rethrone Jesus. Circling back to that blacksmith metaphor, what they would do is they'd siphon off all the impurities and eventually the blacksmith would know that the gold was pure because they'd look into this molten kind of pot, this molten gold, and the, it would be pure when they could see their own reflection coming back at them, right? Because it's gold, everything else is gone. And so the author and perfecter of your faith, what he is concerned with He's concerned with looking at you until he sees perfectly his own reflection. That's what the furnace is all about. That's how suffering can accelerate us towards character, can accelerate us within our discipleship. And then finally, Paul makes this claim and he says not only that, not only character, but the step after character is hope hope and you know I remember when I read this and I thought it would kind of make sense if we jump back one slide it would kind of make sense to me if it was you know hope leads to character and character leads to perseverance right it's like a hopeful person a good person they can withstand trials but Paul very much says it's the other way around like it's perseverance that leads to character and then character becomes the vessel with which hope can exist and why is that? Well, because I think that what, what hope does is that as you walk through trials, as you walk through pain, you begin to exercise hope almost like a muscle. Theologian Douglas Moo says hope is a muscle, and if it's not exercised, it becomes weak. But actually, as you walk through stuff and you exercise the muscle of hope, you realize that there is no trial with which you don't carry a hope to overcome that thing that you're facing. 
And it becomes strong as it gets used. And so as we walk through sufferings and endurance, character, we become a people of hope. And I want to just finish by inviting um, Fergal to come up here with me. In many ways, having looked at this, it can become a little abstract, right? As we talk through kind of the abstract ideas of suffering and, and perseverance, character and hope. And many of you will know Fergal. Here, Fergal, the, the camera's actually better on this side, so why don't you come and jump over here? Should we just say hi to Fergal? Just say hi, Fergal. Bright lights up here. Hey. I had the privilege of uh, meeting with Fergal this week and processing uh, all of this and actually kind of thought in many ways we can, it can also exist in the realm of the abstract a little bit. But many of you will have known Fergal, would have journeyed with Fergal, who's walking through a lot of this. But for those that don't know Fergal, would you just share a little bit about what you've been walking through over the, the last year? Sure. Apologies to um, all her friends who are here for going through this again. But on the 9th of June um, last year, uh, I um, kissed my wife Heather goodbye. Uh, I think there's a picture of her coming up. Um, I should say, actually, this was taken on uh, Friday at my daughter's wedding, and on the following Wednesday, I um, Heather was going out to um, run the food bank. Uh, she was a little bit late. She was um, had a bit of toast in her mouth and put the toast down. Um, we had a quick kiss goodbye, um, and off she went. And I went um, to... I was having... Um, a sort of induction meeting with a CEO of a, a new organisation I was working with. So I went off as well. I turned my phone to silent because I thought in the middle of a meeting that's probably the courteous thing to do. Um, but it kept buzzing. This is at about 10 o'clock now. Um, and eventually the um, administrator, the organisation, came into the room where I was meeting with the CEO and said, Fergal, you really need to take your... Um, this phone call um, and um, basically uh, Heather had been at the food bank she'd had a terrible headache she had started throwing up um, and then she had lost consciousness um, the food bank is over by St Clair's there's a GP practice next door paramedics and GP turned up Heather lost consciousness um, air ambulance was called taken to St George's and I was to told on the phone call that um, she was on... Oh, that's awful, hearing that siren, sorry. Um, um, Nina, my daughter, who's at university, was at home. And um, she packed a bag for Heather and she put her toiletries and pyjamas and stuff in the bag and I picked her up in Guildford and we went up to St George's in Tooting and meanwhile my other two kids who work in London had been called and they too were on their way to St George's as soon as we got there. 
they told us, could we all come into the family room? And I'm afraid I've watched too many episodes of um, sitcoms involving hospitals and stuff and all the rest of it to know what that meant. And sure enough, they said that the neurosurgeons could do nothing for her. She had had a massive, um, uh, as they called it, intracerebral bleed and... Um, the imaging showed that her brain had gone. And so that happened on Wednesday and um, they watched her overnight, but her brain had gone. So she was dead. Unbelievable. So that was the wedding on Friday and the Wednesday. So that was five days before she died. And so the Bible talks about God being close to the brokenhearted. And so over the last seven, eight months, how has that been? How have you felt your relationship with God walking with you through everything? Well, I would expect to have been really angry. I've never, ever been angry. And I find it really weird, actually. I have felt... I mean, there have been horrible, horrible moments, as you can imagine. But So she died Thursday evening, came home, and I was dreading going into our bedroom. Um, and I almost felt God just putting his arms around me and said, go and sit on Heather's side of the bed and, you know, just be there. And I felt an amazing sense of peace. I was hurting massively, and I don't want to make this too neat and tidy because you know, a friend of mine in this church who says, "Be real, Fergal, be real," and I and I want to be. Um, my friends and many of them are here, and my family have been absolutely amazing, and it's revealed to me who God's put around me. Um, you know, they've been there. People have been making me cakes. People have been taking me out to lunch. People have been taking me for walks. People have been looking after my kids. People have been sending me messages on WhatsApp saying, really praying for one of your kids today or whatever. And between them, I felt God revealing to me this kind of massive blanket of support. I mean, the church has been brilliant. I mean, Bill pretty much held us together to start with just by coming over and being real and just talking us through a horrible process. Um, so in the midst of it, and it's so weird, but I have felt such a strong sense of God's presence. And this thing that you were talking about, about the whole thing somehow leading to more Christ-likeness. Well, I have felt stripped away of everything else. And God's sort of just revealing Christ to me as being my sole source of, you know, support. And reminding me, actually, that my surname is Roche and my family motto is Mon Dieu est ma Roche which is, my God is my rock. And I've always just thought, oh, that's a nice thing, that's a nice thing. Now I think, wow, that's God speaking to me. Wow, wow. stunning. 
And I know that Romans 5 has been a really important verse for you over the last nine months. And so what could feel like utterly hopeless, this sense of actually it bringing hope into our lives. Talk to me a little bit about that and how you've experienced that over the last nine months. Well, my friends and you know they all know that i'm quite i'm quite a direct person um i don't faff around um and uh i just felt god has just been saying to me well you now know um you know you live for me and i'm i'm living for you um and uh i just felt everything else is nonsense um, you know, I've got good friends who who want happiness, and they've bought themselves Porsches. And, and one of them had a stroke last year and bought himself a Rolls Royce. And I thought, what? Um, other people close to me drink a lot. Um, others wear tons of makeup. And I I have a sense from God saying to me, you're alive. You know, I'm preparing you. Hold on to me. I will give you peace. And the other thing I've felt is, I'm not going to cling on to the past. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I have a fantastic legacy in Heather, what she's left us and what she gave us. And she was an absolutely wonderful woman. And I, I'm amazed that God gave her there I was at Exeter University in the early 80s, praying, Lord, send me someone, send me somebody. And uh, Heather appeared, and I have, I've had the most fantastic marriage. But I felt God saying, don't cling to the past. Persevere with me. Persevere with me. Um, and I've got a whole new chapter to open up. And I have felt through all of this, somehow... God prom- making promises to me, and I'm beginning to see things opening up. I mean, I've, I've because I kind of do this portfolio type work. I've I've stopped several jobs, and I have a strong sense of God saying, "I'm opening you up," and I feel my character changing because I've just been so available to people. So in one week, I had two business lunches. Like one with the head of the strategy agency, another one with a big private equity guy. And in the first meeting, um, hardly talked about business at all. He told me about being estranged from his brother and just coming out with all of this stuff. I was thinking, this hasn't got much to do with strategy or whatever, or maybe it has. And, um, and then in the meeting a couple of days later, I met with this like, you know, big investor guy. And, um, he just started crying in the middle of the lunch. And he said, I still haven't come to grips with my daughter dying eight years ago. And he'd never mentioned it to me before, even though I've known him a long time. So I, I, I sense that, you know, thing, God is doing stuff with my character, but it's not, I don't want to make it neat and tidy. It's not neat and tidy. It's all so way, in so many ways, it's just horrible. But um, Could the band come up? just want to respond this is so much more to say but aware of time just final question and maybe you could pray for us Fergal for anyone who is walking through the valley of the shadow of death 
facing terrible heartache, broken heartedness, what would you say to them, having walked through it and still walking you through it yourself? And then maybe after that you could just pray for us as the band lead us back into worship. Sure. Um, a terrible thing has happened. I, I said at Heather's funeral, I feel as if a big act of violence has happened against our family, and I, that's exactly how I felt. And not to make light of it and, and be all sort of Christian about it is horrible, absolutely terrible. Um, and be real about it and cry a lot. Boy, I've done a lot of crying. Um, but really, take one day, three days. I'm thinking to the end of next week now. I can see what I'm doing. Much beyond that, can't. One day at a time. Two friends, I would say, just be there for me. Be there for each other. And if you don't know the words, don't worry about it. But we need you. We need you. And it doesn't matter if you don't know what to say. Just go. And I'm afraid with a couple of my friends, I've just said, you haven't written or anything. I need you. Um, and Lord God, I just pray that you will come upon your people and you will walk with us. You will walk with us in our pain and you will walk with us in our distress and our discomfort. You will walk with us when we don't understand why we're going through what we're going through while we're feeling what we're going through while we have uncertainty but Lord we cling to you we pray that you pour out your love and your your power in our lives and that you give us a new hope and you assure us that you are with us and that you will walk with us persevering Lord and you will bring us to that new character in you. And there will be more and more like you. And that, you know, at the end of time, Lord, we will be there with you, perfectly in harmony with you, walking with you, praising your name, being with the community of saints.